Welcome to the Become New podcast with John Ortberg. We're in a series right now called Habit, where we're looking at the daily practices that shape the people we become. If you like this podcast, you can share it with a friend or give us a review wherever you're listening. That will help us spread the word. For more resources, visit becomenew.me. Now here's John. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in this day. We're making that a habit. We're learning that our life really is a massive habit. And every day, I and you wake up and habitually face the day with joy, hope, anticipation, expectancy, gratitude, or overwhelm, dread, fear, discontent. We live primarily by habit. And lest you think this is just about um, behavior modification, I want to read a few words and explain one concept in particular from Dallas Willard, Divine Conspiracy, this is page 344. The most spiritually dangerous things in me are the little habits of thought, feeling, and action that I regard as normal because everyone else is like that. It's only human. Dallas goes on, our training and experience must bring us to peace with the fact that if we do not follow our habitual desires, do not do what normal people would do, it is no major thing. We won't die, even though at the beginning our outrage habits will tell us we are sure to. The sun will come up and life will go on better than ever we dreamed. Rightly understood, the death to self of which scripture and tradition speak is simply the acceptance of this fact. That is the cross applied to daily existence. Patterns of anger, scorn, looking to lust vividly illustrate the basic triviality of wrongdoing. The look, when I look to gratify lust, is only a habit. There's nothing deep or vital about it. One looks to lust or to covet upon certain cues. Anyone who bothers to reflect on his or her experience will be able to identify what those cues are. This is also true of anger, scorn, and you name it. It's not like the law of gravity. Falling when you step off a platform is not a habit. Cultivating, lusting, anger, and so on are. So here's a basic distinction between a habit and a law. When I step off of a platform and I fall down, I don't say, man, I got a bad habit of falling. That is the law of gravity. It was that way tomorrow. I mean, yesterday, it will be that way tomorrow. I live under the power of that law. A habit is not a law, but it can come to feel so natural, second nature, that it feels as though it were a law. It is not. The law of gravity cannot be repealed. But the habits that are inside me, those little habits of thought and feeling and behavior, those can be changed. And if I want to experience transformation, that's what is required, is the change at the level of habit, what is inside me, inside my body. Now, that's a massive undertaking. We do it together with God, but God won't do us for it. God will not do that for us. I have to be participating in it. And I know, I know, I know it can sound overwhelming and can also sound um, fatiguing or mechanical, especially if somebody else tells me, here's a bunch of habits that you're supposed to cultivate. So uh, this is very important. What we're talking about today is not a bunch of habits that you need to cultivate. It's almost the opposite of that. 
habit is not a law. Good news is habits can be changed. God will help us in that. And then what I want to focus on for the few remaining moments is the idea of what Charles Duhigg uh, in his book, The Power of Habit, calls a keystone habit. A keystone habit. Uh, illustrate it first and then uh, define it and then apply it to you and me. A company called Alcoa 35 years ago or so selected a new CEO, Paul O'Neill, who gave a really unusual speech to Higg writes about. When he came in, he didn't talk about profits or market efficiencies or uh, synergi- synergizing alignment strategies. He just came up and in his first talk as the new CEO began to talk about worker safety and our goal is going to be zero injuries. We're going to be the most safe place on earth. And people thought that was the weirdest talk they ever heard. He literally, when he was doing the talk to the shareholders, his introduction started talking about, I want you to notice the exits at the back of the room. If there is a fire or an emergency, you may walk safely and calmly and exit. And people were thinking, I got to get out of here and uh, sell all of my shares in Alcoa. One investor literally said he called his 20 biggest clients and said, you got to dump this stock as soon as you can. He said it was the biggest mistake in his life. By the time Paul O'Neill finished his tenure there, profits, I think, had quintupled, something like that. What was he doing? Here's the idea. I knew I had to transform Alcoa, O'Neill said, but you can't order people to change. So I decided I was going to start by focusing on one thing. If I could start disrupting the habits around one thing, it would spread. O'Neill believed that some habits have the power to start a chain reaction, changing other habits as they move through an organization. Some habits, in other words, matter more than others in remaking businesses and lives. They are keystone habits, and they can influence how people work, eat, play, live, spend, and communicate. Keystone habits start a process that over time transform everything. Keystone habits say that success, effectiveness, change, transformation doesn't depend on getting everything right, but instead relies on identifying a key priority and fashioning it into powerful lovers. Now, we've been talking about how habits work, but where do you start and how do you not get uh, overwhelmed by them? So I want to invite you today to think about What's your best sense, your best guess? Feel free to experiment with this uh, of a keystone habit that might make a big difference in your life. If you just focus on this one thing, give you a couple examples as it applies to individuals. Duhigg writes about how for many years, a few decades ago, folks that were working in the area of physical fitness and diet would would decide that in order to help somebody, you had to radically alter their lives. And they would give people strict diets and exercise regimes, and you got to go to the gym and um, got to set all of these kind of goals. And uh, for a little while, people would do that. But after a while, they didn't want to go to the gym. They didn't want to eat that food. And it set them up to fail, and they would get discouraged and quit. Until about 10 years ago or so, a group of researchers asked uh, 1,600, I think it was, folks who wrestled with weight issues to do one thing, and that was once a week to write down everything they ate for a day, once a week. And so they began to do that. And uh, 
Here's what Duhigg writes. It was hard at first. Subjects forgot to carry their food journal. They would snack and not note it. Slowly, though, they began recording their meals once a week, sometimes more often. Some started keeping a daily food log, eventually became a habit. Then something unexpected happened. The participants started looking at their entries and finding patterns they didn't know existed. Some noticed they always seemed to snack at about 10 o'clock, so they started bringing a banana or an apple with them. Some would write down what they were going to eat later on that day, and then they would go ahead and eat that healthy meal. The researchers had not suggested any of those things. They just suggested one habit, and that was to keep a food log. But what happened was it sparked awareness and ideas in people's minds and activities, so it became a keystone habit. Now, with Ignatius... A keystone habit was actually very similar, only instead of a food journal, a food log, it was kind of a God log. It's called the examen. Once a day, just look back over the day and look for where were moments when I found God or where were moments when I pulled away from God. That was a keystone habit for Ignatius. That might be one for you. It might be around food. Um, I was thinking in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we're told that Daniel had been carried into Babylon and they were now subject of the king. But Daniel set his mind to not defile himself with the king's rich food and wine. We don't know why that was a defilement thing. I think Daniel was choosing a keystone habit. I think that was a way for Daniel to exercise agency and to remember, although he had been given a new name and he would enter into lots of learning in this new culture, he still was a human being with choice. He wasn't a pawn. He wasn't a victim. He could say no to some of his appetites and still survive. I think Daniel 1.8 is about a keystone habit. Uh, another example in Duhigg's book, he talks about cadets at West Point where a lot of people in the first summer that you're there get kind of fleshed out of the program. They come in with lots and lots of physical and mental habits, but one of the cadets says, I would meet every day with a group of nine people who would remind me, who would encourage me, who would strengthen me. And that was the keystone habit when I got encouraged and strengthened by meeting with those people that led me into all kinds of activities during the day that I would not have done otherwise. And I think about uh, the Acts 2 church where people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer. We've talked about that day after day, daily, they met together in the temple courts and around table. I think that's why in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25, it says, uh, let's consider how we can spur each other on to love and good deeds. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together, which is the habit of some. I think they knew in the early church, that gathering together was a keystone habit that kept folks alive. I'll tell you two for me. In the darkest days of my life, I would wake up very early in the morning, go downstairs in our little condo, and I would light a fire in our little gas fireplace. And just that act was a reminder that there is light, and God is present, and there's hope, and I could talk to Him, and so I would. And then I would get thoughts that would enable me to survive and somehow carry on through the day. Just that, um, pressing that little button that would start that gas fire. And then, uh, not quite a year later, I had a couple of friends that said, uh, John, you ought to devote yourself to your craft and you need to do something every day. And so that led to this. But when I began this, it wasn't, 
uh, I was hopeful that it would be helpful to people, but it wasn't mostly about that. I needed that, and it has led me to learn in the study. I promise you, I learn more than anybody else does as a result of Become New. It's led to relationships. It's led to meaning and a sense of purpose. It's led to conversations with many people, many of you at points of deep pain. So it may be that this, just these 10 or 12 minutes or slightly more, um, are the keystone habit that you want to focus on. That's the invitation for today. A habit is not a law. Keystone habit makes the process of transformation simple and compelling and doable. What do you think that might be for you? Because love is habit forming. Hi, I'm Tim. Thanks for joining us. You mean so much to us as a community, and we hope that this series helps you build some new habits in your life to help you grow spiritually one day at a time. And we want to hear from you throughout this series. If you have questions, you can put them in the comment box wherever you're watching, or you can email us or text us. And at the end of the series, we're going to sit down with John and talk about some of your questions. For more resources, you can visit becomenew.me. And to spread the word, you can hit subscribe, share this video with a friend, or give us a review on podcasts wherever you're listening. We'll see you next time.